and welcome to On Focus, brought to you by the Focal Therapy Clinic, where we address issues facing men diagnosed with prostate cancer that are little known, less understood, often avoided, and too often ignored. Prostate cancer is the most commonly diagnosed cancer amongst men in the UK. With this number of fact comes a multitude of challenges and opportunities. I'm Claire Delmar. Joining me today is consultant urologist Tim Dudridge, who works at the Focal Therapy Clinic and is based at University Hospital Southampton. Tim is an innovator in focal therapy, and he's co-investigated most of the clinical trials and studies that have built the evidence base for focal therapy and advanced its adoption in practice. He's recently completed his appointment as clinical champion for Prostate Cancer UK, and he's here to discuss what he learned and what those implications are for patient care. Tim, thanks so much for joining me today. It's a great pleasure. Good. Well, um, let's go right in. I mean, you've just completed this wonderful year. You and I guess you'll tell us in a second, you know, a number of other clinicians. So, you know, let's just start by, you know, sharing with us how was your experience as a Prostate Cancer UK clinical champion? Well, I, I saw this program. It's actually an 18-month program. And uh, I first saw it advertised and thought, you know, it's a great opportunity to get a project that, that I had in mind off the ground. And uh, so, uh, you know, I applied and was successful, uh, you know, uh, joined a group of a mixture of people, actually, uh, urologists, uh, you know, clinical oncologists, uh, radiographers, uh, radiologists, uh, some nurses, you know, there's a real wide spectrum of people all working in in prostate cancer. And uh, we all had an idea and some of the ideas were the same uh, about trying to develop services in our in our hospitals and in our areas. And Prostate Cancer UK uh, really wanted to try and get a group like that together who all were on a journey and to give us some leadership training. Actually, you know, a lot of it was quite familiar to me because it wasn't my first rodeo. But um, but actually, it was great to, to go on this journey and have the license of Prostate Cancer UK to really support my project. And mm-hmm. um, so so for me, it was it was an opportunity to, to, to use that process of personal development as a a launch pad for this particular project and and actually unlike some you know it, i was very lucky that it it, it 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 really allowed the project to work and uh so i'll tell you all about that in a yeah so, so that was my next question what what was the project and and you know what what did you focus on so when this project when this opportunity came up we were just in the middle of coming out of uh you know the covid uh kind of um, hiatus in a lot of clinical services and we were noticing a big gap in cancer referrals for understandable reasons. The health mm-hmm. services mm-hmm. in disarray, focusing on on this uh, COVID challenge, and we were very quiet in the prostate cancer service relatively. And we we knew there were men going missing, uh, and so we wanted to deal with that challenge. It's also historically been the case that um, there's been a bit of a gap in in opportunistic testing for prostate cancer. As you know, we don't have a screening program, mm-hmm. and uh, the men who tend to get tested, they've either got health insurance or they're made you know, aware of prostate cancer through their networks uh, or they have, uh, you know, they read the newspapers. And, uh, you know, and what you find is that there's a big socioeconomic uh, divide between the typical man coming forward who doesn't have symptoms, but has opportunistically found his prostate cancer. And, and the men who uh, don't have that sort of education, who maybe wait till they've got quite severe symptoms, often when they've got locally advanced disease or metastatic disease. Mm. And so, you know, perhaps we can do more to try and uh, make a bit of more, a more equitable situation for access to prostate cancer investigation. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. We had these kind of uh, multiple things going on. And, and my feeling was that we, 
we okay we can't impose a new screening uh, program yet because we don't have the evidence perhaps to really support the imposition of a test on people at a certain age mm-hmm. like you may feel that exists for breast or cervical cancer mm-hmm. but i think we do have enough evidence to say men should be told about this it shouldn't matter how rich or poor you are whether you get the information about this and we already have a situation where the nhs supports a free psa test if you want one if you've been well informed so mm-hmm. that is not new that's been around since tony blair's days mm-hmm. and, and i just thought that we had to have an intervention that made things fairer and and when we when we you know generated interest in psa testing as a result of this not everyone will be interested but if they are we shouldn't have barriers to them for them to get the test mm-hmm. and at the moment there are lots of barriers you know uh, even getting men to go and see the doctors a barrier when they get there there's a variability in opinions about PSA testing and people might get put off even mm-hmm, when they mm-hmm. informed and made a choice and and then you know getting them in for a blood test is a challenge and so on so we wanted to challenge all of those barriers as well and what we came up with in my project proposal was an idea that we would publicize the idea about uh, prostate cancer awareness this is already being done by lots of people. There are charities doing it, including Prostate Cancer UK, but mm-hmm. smaller local charities. And so we would not be doing anything particularly new in that respect. But what we would be doing is providing, if you like, well-balanced uh, prostate health information, which is sort of locally relevant in terms of what you do next. And uh, what you would do next in this uh, project was contact the hospital and be able to directly get into the hospital system and get a blood test. So not your GP, time. but contact a hospital. Was that one of the exactly. differences? Yeah. One of the major differences is that we can say, just come to us, and we'll sort it out. And a specialist team of nurses will just arrange everything and then give you some advice afterwards about what to do. And, you know, often this is either being done by GPs who have the protocols to follow, but they're not dealing with prostate cancer day in, day out. Mm-hmm. And they're very busy with other important things. Nor is this a situation where you've got amateurs, if you like, the very you know enthusiastic patients who form a group and then they buy themselves some PSA tests and they organize it that way, mm-hmm. you know, that goes on a lot as well. And, and then you don't have very expert advice coming out of that. Um, so we uh, developed then a whole lot of material to advise people about their urinary symptoms, depending on how, how bad they were affected about their PSA result. And, you know, a number of outcome letters were generated. But importantly, if you had a risky PSA level, you'd be fast tracked into the two week wait clinic without your GP having to be troubled with, you know, this process. And okay. We got, okay. We got buy-in from the GPs as well. They, they were keen for us to do this, to try and uh, deal with this big gap in. Uh, yeah. Western, well, you, know, you probably relieved them of some, you know, a burden that uh, they were already feeling or, um, but I'm curious, how did you get them to come into hospital? Because, you know, while I understand the gap and, you know, certainly from a resource point of view, going to hospital usually suggests you have symptoms already. And back to what you said earlier, you know, often when you have symptoms, it's, um, it's, it's late for, in, you know, presenting for cancer. So how, mm-hmm. how do you get people to go to a hospital when they, they feel okay? Well, you know, this whole idea that I started out with, um, I put into a PowerPoint presentation. And luckily, at the time, there were also other people worried about this. And so uh, the the Cancer Alliance, Wessex Cancer Alliance, were interested. And they said this meets with some of our kind of targets and what we've been asked to do. And NHS England eventually came up with some money to help uh, fund projects like this. I presented to a number of uh, the the whole of the South of England uh, cancer alliances and discussed the idea with them. And they're like, some were interested, some not so interested, but there was kind of, uh, you know, eyebrows being raised and Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and other things, similar projects were being done elsewhere by other people, but, you know, all people doing it their own different way. Uh, But eventually uh, they said, yes, we want you to go for this. And so just after Christmas, we said like, you know, just go for it. And so we had some publicity 
and we went through radio, TV, a few like trust events and GP events. And uh, we got a little bit of momentum, you know. And so uh, basically throughout the course of this year, we've had a pretty large number of people coming through who would not have otherwise got tested. Mm. Interestingly, lots of them have got symptoms, but a lot of them also didn't have symptoms. Mm-hmm. So it's probably about a quarter of them with no symptoms at all, but the others with varying degrees of symptoms. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we got funding to get some staff. That One of them's just started, the other one's starting the new year. But otherwise this has been done by sort of, you know, the, 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 the departments absorbed the... Uh, the activity and uh, we've had about five or six hundred people now come forward for testing there were probably not quite double that but a, a large number of people who made inquiries and maybe read the information decided it wasn't for them or mm-hmm. uh, you know but they also we also didn't have to get them into hospital we had uh during the covid you know but certainly the beginning of the year we had some of the covid facilities of testing outside in, in like basically a big car park it was you know yeah, uh, blood yeah. Testing was a drive-through thing so that helped um and actually you know we're, we're able to use the phlebotomy services of primary care to an extent and mm-hmm, um mm-hmm. you know what we're seeing is that this is a way of drawing men into education about their prostate and the men who feel that they want to proceed are proceeding and we've generated so far i think you know from the the, the group of 465 that I looked at, 64 of those cases ended up needing a two-week wait appointment. So wow. that's quite a high conversion rate in many ways. I'm not, we haven't yeah. yet analysed to get the data of that, how many important cancers were within that group. But, yeah. um, you know, we're, we're, we're going to analyse all of this and we're presenting uh, to a health service journal meeting in, in the spring. And, you know, we're, we're hoping to uh, have enough resources uh, locally to, to run a pilot in a GP surgery where we'll eventually, you know, in a 12-month uh, period, run through every man in the risk group, you know, 45 if they've got family history or they're black or 50 to 70 otherwise, and yeah. basically, you know, go through that risk group and present them with a please click here for the information. Right. Uh, so, so that is approaching uh, not a screening test with PSA, but uh, 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 what I'm calling, uh, uh, an, you know, and eventually it will be called a national prostate health uh, intervention program right well i think well, i think the interesting thing is changing the emphasis from here's a test is like here's the information and i think yeah. that's the nuance is, is different there because we're not saying you should have this test we're saying you should have this information and i think that's first of all far less dangerous thing to be uh you know putting around because um people worry about the harms of screening but do people really worry about the harms of information i mean it's you know it's important to be informed yeah uh, you know and i think i think there's a, a difference there uh, and actually it would take some of the concern that people have about screening programs out because people can be informed about the pros and cons mm-hmm. and make their own decision. And make and their own just- choice, yeah. Did you notice, um, you know, even anecdotally, or have you collected the data on, on of these, I think you said 500 men or so who came forward, were there any dominant demographic groups, any, any particular profile to the people who did come forward? And were you reaching those people that you know you suggested earlier were were actually not being informed these are all good questions we haven't analyzed that yet we've only just got the staff who've come on board mm-hmm. um, you know what we can say is that i'd say the majority have got moderate or severe urinary symptoms uh you know the i'd say you know it's probably just as many with mild as severe LUTs, but you know the majority uh with with some degree of urinary symptoms so i think there are a lot of symptomatic men out there who are perhaps um you know, worried about cancer, but in actual fact, it's the ones, you know, who don't have symptoms, which are perhaps 
harboring just as many cancers so mm-hmm. uh, we need to make sure that message comes across well because whenever you speak to journalists they're always saying so tell us a bit again about the symptoms of early prostate cancer go yeah. there aren't any yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. i mean and, another uh, question is i mean you know it is informing them about prostate disease and prostate health um but but equally did, did people come forward because this was an opportunity to avoid a wait for a gp appointment like did the the fact that you have these waits right now for for um primary care services help your your project so i think you know we will be picking up some of the men who might otherwise come through their gp that's certainly going to be the case and the gps are well aware of this service and i've even noticed our service being advertised on their gp surgery websites and so for them it does offer a chance for them to pivot men who might otherwise be seen face to face directly to the hospital and that's fine i think as long as we can staff the service to cope with that it may be that that is the best way of dealing with it, you know, is, is to actually for such a formulaic process that these men have to go through, which is, you know, read the information, symptom score, uh, you know, and then if they need to, they have, if they want to have a blood test, if they need to, they have a, a, a face-to-face assessment by a nurse. You know, this is a kind of a treadmill, which you know doesn't really need GPs to be doing. Mm-hmm. It, it requires a high volume and high skill uh, in this area uh, activity, which can be done by nurses or, other healthcare workers so i think mm-hmm, mm-hmm. i i think actually running it like this makes a lot of sense yeah um, yeah it sounds like it is i mean so i mean going forward how this will benefit patients in future you think once you get it piloted and, and begin to collect some data and some evidence do you think this is something that you could see being rolled out yeah i mean i think my objectives for next year are to um obviously get these staff in and trained up and grow our capacity Um, I think there's certain bits of the IT I want to improve so that we can have a a, a micro website that actually handles the sort of uh, the information and PSA requesting side of things automatically, allowing more time for the sort of uh, more detailed um, conversations that patients might want with the nursing team that we're building. And and then to maybe have a program in in a pilot site in a GP surgery where we proactively target the the men in in the database within the risk group and try and see, you know, if you if you did that proactively, how much work is generated for a certain population of men, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and uh, and and therefore what staffing would you need if you wanted to run this on a, you know, citywide basis? Um, you know, we we had a rough back of the envelope calculation for Winchester. You know, there are eight thousand men in their primary healthcare databases who've not had a PSA test, who are over fifty. Mm-hmm. Uh, obviously, some of those were over seventy. You might be able to maybe um, not proactively target them, which would fall in line with guidance. But, you know, I, I, the rough, you know, I, I thought we would generate about 35 two-week wait appointments per week uh, if we were to go out and really push this. And I think that would be uh, pretty hard to deal with with current staffing. Because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. um, you said you generated, what was it? Sorry, per month. sorry that was per month. Per, per month, month. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, that would be, right. Well, um, um, you know, so that's quite a lot of extra work, you know. Yeah, no, indeed. I mean, but it it sounds like a fabulous program, and I look forward to, um, you know, to 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 hearing more about it. Um, and and you know, congratulations because it's a it's a really important um, intervention, as you say. And well, well it's just, early days, and you know, yeah. But just just pivoting, I mean, uh, to to the program itself. You know, I know there was a whole group of of um, professionals, as you said earlier. Were there other projects that other champions that you met? Um, in in the program that pursued that particularly impressed you as well well i think the interesting thing is a lot of people are trying to push to develop um local anesthetic transperineal prostate biopsy services you know a lot of people still doing transrectal ultrasound guided prostate biopsy and they wanted to come to try and see how they can overcome barriers to deliver that 
there were a lot of people. It was one very interesting project looking at improving uh, the sexual health uh, support for men with advanced prostate cancer. You know, obviously we think about this a lot with prostatectomy and getting their erections back. But what about men on hormones who mm-hmm. have metastatic disease? You know, it's a very under uh, kind of studied area. Uh, a lot of men trying to improve the diagnostic pathway and improving their imaging uh, processes mm-hmm. and straight to test. And so there's a lot of interesting projects out there, actually. And uh, it's great to see how much enthusiasm there is for improving the prostate cancer services. Yeah, um, absolutely. I mean, do you, do you feel that programs like these are really key to progressing these new areas of clinical practice? Like, would you have been able to pursue this without the program? I think so. But, it, it, you know, what's really amazing is when you a very for a very prestigious charity like Prostate Cancer UK, uh, they've got a lot of um, recognition and clout and just, you know, and turning up to a meeting and saying, I'm the Prostate Cancer UK champion and this is my project. People just listen. Yeah. And they, yeah. it's it's remarkable. And so uh, I really uh, felt the project benefited from having that license, if you like. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. um, in fact, they, what they're, I think the charity's very cleverly got now a group of people who all really feel a sense of uh, camaraderie with the charity as a group. We, communicate very well with each other and they're looking for advisors and they're building a big advisory community to help the charity and they're doing a similar thing with patients as well to basically have a a really strong group of people who can advise the charity on how to move forwards and so whenever they've got an idea they'll go to their patient group they'll come to the 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 clinician group and, and that way it keeps the charity pointing in the right direction i think that's their big plan is to to use us as their uh, champions and absolutely and, uh, yeah so it is it is continuous and and final question i mean the um i know you said you you um proposed this project um with some 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 materials i think you said it was on a powerpoint but is there is there a place where some of the research you've done on this on this project exists that that um listeners could go find uh as yet we haven't really you know we've got very you know i produced a poster for my uh uh program recently so i'm certainly happy to share that but um the uh I would say we're going to have some meaningful outcomes from this in, in the middle of next year. Okay. And yep. uh, there's certainly information on the UHS website about the self-referral program. And uh, in fact, it's on lots of the GP surgery web, web, web pages around here as well. So, um, but we will certainly be able to offer a bit more insight into our results in, in you know, the middle of next year. Good. Well, we'll look forward to that. And um, very exciting. And congratulations once again on really much. launching something very you. interesting. So th- yeah, thanks again. And we'll, as I said, we'll we'll look forward to um, to hearing how things develop next year. A transcript of this interview and links to more information about Tim and his work are available in the program notes on our website, along with further information on diagnostics and treatment for prostate cancer, as well as additional interviews and stories about living with prostate cancer. Please visit www.thefocaltherapyclinic.co.uk and follow us on Twitter and Facebook at The Focal Therapy Clinic. Thanks for listening. And for me, Claire Delmar, see you next time. Bye.